I think the most disruptive thing going on right now that everyone should be paying attention to, express, especially freelancers and entrepreneurs, uh, is AI. AI. Um, I sort of knew that was coming. You yeah. know, like finding ways and it's understanding it from a holistic perspective. It's understanding how could this potentially disrupt you? Um, how can this uh, benefit you? How can this make you more efficient? How can this fill in the gaps that you ha maybe have in a skill set, right? Like a very obvious one that I tell a lot of the engineers that I talk to. It's like, look, use ChatGPT, write better emails, like write better status updates. You can convey your value back much more concisely. Uh, you know, product managers use this to help you like speed things up. You know, don't be scared of it. Designers use Adobe and other stuff or um, mid journey to iterate and ideate faster. Yeah. Um, and I, I constantly preach it out for people to be using it. Welcome to the in factor. I'm Rebecca White. And today I'm excited to talk with former guest Corey Heimel, a technology enthusiast shaping the future of work in decentralized economies. When I decided to use this podcast as a platform to learn more about the future of work and the role of an entrepreneurial mindset, Corey immediately came to mind. Today, Corey is VP of Product and Research at Gigster, where he focuses on innovating the future of work by enabling scalable access to the human cloud. He is also the head of academic partnerships, collaborating with prestigious institutions such as Stanford and Berkeley, to lead research into the dynamics of distributed teams at scale. Prior to these roles, Corey's passion for blockchain technology led him to serve as the director of blockchain, overseeing various aspects of blockchain adoption, including NFTs, cryptocurrencies, and enterprise applications. Based in Charlotte, North Carolina, Corey's expertise spans across a wide range of cutting edge technologies positioning him as a leading figure in the field. I'm so excited to dive deep into Corey's insights on building a decentralized future, leveraging the human cloud, and the transformative power of emerging technologies. Join us as we explore the fascinating world of technology and its impact on the future of work. Corey, thank you for joining me today on The In Factor. Yeah, I'm, I'm super happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you back. We had a great conversation probably maybe a year ago now. I mean, time goes by so fast. And I learned a lot about what you're doing at Gigster. And uh, I'm on to a new project now. And you were one of the first people I thought about reaching out to to learn more about what's going on with this whole freelance economy maybe the gig economy, uh, shared, shared economy. There's a lot of different terms. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of um, confusion about what all those things mean. So maybe we can clarify some of that today. And I, I'm sure I'll learn some things, but just excited to have you back and, uh, and talk again. Yeah, no, yeah, happy to chat. And yeah, God, it's been a year already. It's crazy how, <laughs> how fast time uh, how fast time flies, but yeah, excited to jump into it. You know, I think that over the past year, uh, there's definitely been, you know, probably shifts in the market, uh, shifts in technology that's out there, you know, that's impacting, uh, the future of work, the freelance economy, the open talent, 
pool, the human cloud, you know, it goes by a lot of different names and you know, I'm sure there's nuances between them, but uh, yeah, excited to, to chat through it. Okay, great. Well, let's review uh, for our audience a little bit about what you do. You're at Gigster, and uh, I know you were the head of or director for blockchain when we last talked. And I talked, and I see that now you're you're also working with some academic institutions um, in this space, and um, also you're a, an advisor for Human Cloud, which is one of the companies in this space helping place technical uh, freelancers. But tell us a little bit more uh, or remind everybody about what Gigster is all about and what you do there and maybe share some of the how your role has even changed maybe over the last year. Yeah, of course. So, uh, yeah. So with Gigster, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, kind of this and this is a really simplified version, but for the fact, uh, for the, the sake of this, you know, we're kind of this wrapper around uh, the human cloud and future of work that's really focused on providing teams, uh, teams of freelancers that are able to go work. Uh, on really complicated and fun problems, uh, but really are kind of are my focus now within it is how do you how do we leverage data? How do we leverage tools and technologies to make these teams successful? Uh, you know, I myself uh, got started with Gigster probably about eight or nine years ago, early on when it got founded, and I actually started as a freelancer. Uh, so I was a freelancer engineer on the platform, uh, came, got hired on, have kind of worked my way up to the through the ranks. Uh, and, you know, the last time we spoke, I was uh, director of blockchain. So leading a lot of our Web3 initiatives uh, and since then have now been moved it as to VP of product. Uh, so my focus now is much broader uh, and more aligned into how do we build a platform that enables uh, the freelance workforce? How do we build a future uh, for this future work uh, force that's coming down the road? And it's really, really interesting. And that encompasses a lot of different areas into, you know, how do we partner with research uh, partners like Stanford and Berkeley and UPenn uh, to really think forward and do deep dives into, you know, understand cogn cognitively how freelancers think, uh, what they expect, and how can we better build products to fit their needs. And so that's kind of how I sit today. You know, uh, part of my department is our, our net ops team, which basically runs all of our uh, recruiting and our network so really our core source and product as well as our platform team which is all of like our tools our ai models uh, that allows us to organize those people in ways that they can be effective for customers mm -hmm. uh, and so it's really really exciting spot to be in uh, and you know we've got a lot of stuff coming down the pike but you know that's uh, we'll, we'll 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 leave that to a different time uh, and as you said as well, uh, you know, help advise over on Human Cloud, which is a, a magnificent company that they're really focused on advocating the message of the Human Cloud and the future of work, and doing a lot of uh, consulting and advisory work, and not really knowledge sharing work for companies that are trying to understand what this thing is. Uh, you know, when you say Human Cloud, it's this amorphous kind of idea of, you know, a planetary scale talent uh, pool where anyone can kind of move in and out. And it's very fluid. And a lot of times companies, they don't know how to wrap their arms around it, right? Like how to, you know, everything from, you know, hiring managers aren't sure how to hire or, or manage that. Uh, project managers and product managers aren't sure how to structure work that would be effective for, you know, these fractional workers to come in, you know, all the way down to procurement doesn't know how to 
contract and actually, you know, finance it. Uh, so the human cloud sure. does a lot of great work in going in and educating these companies and setting them up um, to understand, uh, understand the human cloud, understand the future of work and ultimately be able to adopt uh, this new workforce because it's extremely important uh, and it's going to be extremely impactful in the years to come. So they're doing a great job of, you know, laying a lot of that foundational work that uh, that will be needed, you know, in the years to come, if, you know, as well as like decades to come down the road. Yeah, yeah. You know, so much is going on right now. I mean, you mentioned AI, for example. There's so much new technology. I know on our campus at the University of Tampa, you know, we've we've got a lot of new things going on there and a lot of the folks are that are involved in especially the technology space. And I find it really interesting. You're you work primarily with tech entrepreneurs. And as I think about work, uh, which is kind of the topic we're talking about today, you know, Tech, uh, tech workers have been working remotely for quite some time. And then all of a sudden, we had the pandemic a few years ago, and everybody kind of joined in that. So, so the tech community led that. And now I think with this, this whole freelance economy, which, you know, I, I had the chance to talk with Matthew from Human Cloud. And as we talked about before we started the podcast, he's, he's really got a lot of passion and he's amazing and, and really engaged in this. But, you know, th this whole concept of, of uh, freelance work, which, um, you know, he explained to me is kind of different from the traditional gig economy as we thought about it, which maybe included a lot of lower level entry jobs that people might do on the side or, um, you know, for, you know, maybe without other employment, um, you know, that's kind of really different from a lot of what he's talking about with the human cloud. Um, it might include it, but the human cloud now is much, much bigger than that. And I read a really interesting article in the Wall Street Journal about a week ago about doctors and nurses in the healthcare space and how a lot of them are joining the freelance economy. So what it seems to me, although the, the time frame is, is being, uh, you know, is, is faster, is that the techno technology space is really kind of leading how our workforce is starting to develop over the years. And we're catching up with some of that. But companies still have a lot of issues to deal with, I heard you say. Mm -hmm. So uh, you brought up issues of even figuring out how do you hire these people? And, you know, where do these people get benefits when they don't have benefits from a traditional company? Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm assuming security is a big issue and company secrets and company um, company information and and data. So, um, to, you know, what is what do companies like Human Cloud or Gigster or any of these intermediary companies? How do you fit into that and and really help with that? I mean, it, you know, I can see the one end. You've got the gig worker or the freelance worker. They develop a skill and they need to be placed. Well, placing now is probably the easy piece, right? It's it's more about how does how does that how does that work? for right. the company and in the end for the freelancer. Mm -hmm. No, it's, it's a great question. And, and it's, I would say that it's continuously evolving, right? You know, when you look at uh, the way that you define a company today uh, or the way that companies operate today, you know, they are in uh, the word archaic, I think might be a bit brash, uh, but, it, but, it, but it's fine, right? Like, you know, companies have been, you know, people have been organizing into groups for, you know, profit driving, uh, 
organizations for a long time. But a lot of the way that companies are structured and people think about companies and think about work uh, is still a bit uh, uh, an old school. <laughs> Again, I think it sounds sounds like a bit brash, but you know it, it, it's evolving and it's growing very, very quickly. Uh, and for companies, I mean, you mentioned a lot of the big points. Um, you know, security, obviously that's one, but then there's even questions about culture. You know, can you build, like, does it, does it fracture a company's culture? If you start bringing in uh, people on fractional basis, knowing that they're not going to be there for a while, uh, you know, dealing with how do you actually plan and execute growth strategies with individuals that, you know, aren't going to be around all the time. And I think the, the short answer is that we're learning, we're all learning. Uh, you know, we do see a lot of companies that are uh, starting to become from inception distributed first, uh, and I think that's one of the big the big steps into the human cloud is is building a business that is distributed. So while they might, while your 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 payroll might have a lot of full time employees, there is no every everyone is around the world, right? And everyone is remote and everyone's distributed, and that's like this this kind of new uh, organizational structure that's come online, uh, and it started a little bit pre pandemic, but now it's becoming even more and more pervasive. Uh, and that's like that's that's a good like foundational portion for businesses to start tapping into the human cloud. You already have like the infrastructure set up, you know, to run uh, to run uh, distributedly. You have a lot of the tools and processes and ways you break down work uh, that can be done and executed by people uh, in different time zones and different locations with different uh, cultural backgrounds, maybe, you know, with uh, a lot of different needs. Uh, so all of that kind of plays into this uh, future state. Of being able to leverage uh, this this concept of of the human cloud and what you know where it really benefits a lot uh, from what we've seen is with uh, yes yes large enterprises and existing businesses can ben can benefit from it tr uh, tremendously from being able to you know accelerate you know product roadmaps and timelines um, you know uh, being able to access like niche skill sets that they might have like a hard time hiring so th there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits for for companies that are already there. But where we see really interesting ones is with these like new businesses, right? Like these new companies that are coming online uh, and that are saying, you know what, I can start elastically pulling in people when I need them uh, and become much more uh, efficient with like my capital expenditures. I can better plan and spend money and like manage, you know, what where, I, where I'm going and actually have much longer roadmaps and longevity for, for less amount of um you know, startup capital. Uh, and I think that's fascinating when you start to look at what that means for, for industry, what it means for, uh, you know, innovation, uh, being able to enable all of these great ideas and these, you know, these entrepreneurs to get started way, way more efficiently than they, than they did in the past. And it's like a similar thing too, when the internet came around, right? You know, you saw this ability for startups to get, uh, to get traction, to understand product market fit, uh, and to be able to grow uh, with a lot less, you know, upfront, uh, you know, capital raise or, you know, investment that were needed. And that led to a boom in innovation. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think we're going to start to see a similar kind of boom uh, as well once, you know, with this capability around um, the human cloud. Yes. So much in there I want to ask you about. So, But I have to respond to that last comment because I started into this whole space of entrepreneurship education, kind of transferring out of strategy about the time that the internet was really booming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I remember all that, you know, all the possibilities. Uh, and, and it's just fascinating to kind of see how that's all transformed over the years. And 
um, you know, there are winners and losers, of course, and, uh, you know, just seeing all that. So you brought up distributed organizations and, um, you know, we talked about blockchain and crypto and DAOs and all of that last time. So there's so much in there, I think, that's really fascinating. Is, uh, is that space really kind of leading um, in terms of thinking about how these organizations are going to be, um, you know, structured? Because, you know, in some ways, I, I think a lot of organizations haven't figured out the, the remote work thing yet, which is mm -hmm. just the beginning of this, um, you know. And so, um, I, you know, I think it's just really fascinating. And, and there's so much going on right now around the whole space of, of blockchain and, you know, lots of opportunity there. Uh, but also then the, the whole new uh, government's interest, let's put it that way, in crypto <laughs> here in yeah. the United States and things that are happening there. So, uh, you know, how does all of that scene, I guess, I don't know a better way to put it, fit into all of this? Yeah, of course. You know, it's... It, what I always found super interesting around uh, the blockchain space, and it was, you know, it was similar to like early on in AI. Uh, I was lucky enough to kind of be there. I would say this epoch of AI obviously wasn't there back in the you know early '60s when they mm -hmm. started it, uh, but it was the same, you know, kind of when mobile uh, came around too. Uh, is that whenever you have these like very big shifts and new technology. Uh, what you get is a ton of like innovation in it, right? And that's um, probably pretty obvious for for most. Uh, but what was really fascinating around the the blockchain side was two things were 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 very important in it, and one of those is um, is ownership, right? So understanding and being able to prove value in the digital space, which before blockchain. Uh, was was either one extremely hard to do or not possible, uh, and the second one was around like anonymity. Uh, and so, when a lot of you know in the early 2020, uh, 2021, um, what you saw was these new ways of thinking and and these new ways of organizing large amounts of people focused at a common goal that were rooted in this concept of of value ownership and and provenance as well as anonymity. And when you think about that, it, it, it introduces a lot of challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, and not to mention that they were all remote. And a lot of them were using, you know, very basic tools to get some of these DAOs, you know, these, these organizations off the ground, they were using, you know, basically, um, like discord, uh, and email, uh, and other stuff. But a lot of times it was really, like, uh, fascinating to watch to see how, you know, this like self-assembly type of organism grew. Uh, and, you know, coming out of that, there was a lot of great findings, you know, but there's still a lot to learn on it. And what I think is really interesting to watch, uh, especially from the, from the, from the web three community is seeing how those groups uh, begin to uh, evolve, right? So they, we kind of had them in their infancy stage, like a lot of the DAOs that had come up, uh, you know, again, in the past few years, they were, you know, the, the, the V1s, uh, and then you see them get a little bit more ro robust with kind of like the V2 versions. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see how they continue to kind of like layer on functionality to fit better into the social structure that the world uh, is used to. But they provide a lot of what, what I find most attractive about DAOs and what I think a lot of enterprises will start to 
adopt or some of the principles out of them uh, is the ability to harness fractional workers. Um, and, you know, when you say, how do you harness like fractional work or contingent labor, stuff that's been around for a long time, uh, the ways of typically tracking that are extreme, extremely rudimentary, right? It's like, how many hours did you work, right? It's okay. Um, or, you know, uh, well, I can't really think of any other, but that's basically <laughs> it. Like you come in and I'll buy a block of hours for it and you do that. Yeah. You know, what was interesting about DAOs is, is what they, they cared about value, right? Um, and they created mechanisms that would compensate contingent workers on value output and not just hours put in. Mm -hmm. uh, and being able to capture that value output offer, you know, was was is a big challenge, right? It's really hard to say, how do you at scale within an organization compensate people on value output and not like hours served? Um, and, you know, DAOs, again, don't they don't have it perfect now, but they were able to to crack it somewhat. And they were some of them were successful. Uh, but it was this research, this kind of organic social research experiment that actually did begin to prove that there's something there and there's something worth looking at and that this something could really disrupt uh, fundamentally the way that a lot of companies, uh, you know, operate. And I think that's that's really exciting. That's something that we're paying a lot of attention to, something that I'm personally paying a lot of attention to because it does feed back into this notion that there is a better future and that there is a better way to work than what we do today mm -hmm. uh, and that future generations expectation of what work is and what they get out of work is going to be largely different than what it is uh today you know i i, I, I have talked to some you know younger people than myself and you know a lot of their interest is you know making sure that they're aligned you know philosophically with what this company is doing do they feel recognized do they feel that their value output is heard do they feel that their voice is heard within the company do they um you know do they feel like that they contribute on a daily basis uh, and, I, and i heard a really interesting line the other day that was you know the talent war is over and that talent won uh and i think that's incredibly that's incredible that's uh, yeah line. i think it's yeah. incredibly true uh, and, you know, businesses need to understand that that is the case mm -hmm. and uh, be able to adjust how they operate to support that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, you brought up a lot of really issue, yeah. interesting issues to me because, you know, you mentioned uh, ownership and anonymity. And, you know, when I think back to the early days of the Internet, we had those same issues, mm -hmm. you know. And we still aren't dealing with them. We still haven't figured those out um, right. in a lot of ways. But, you know, uh, typically when we start to develop or when we try to develop, you know, new, new ways of managing and working with new technology or with, with change, let's put it that way, we often look back to other contexts that we might be able to pull from. And I think it, it's fascinating because everything's new, but yet everything's you know, things keep repeating themselves. The same problems keep keep coming up and coming up. You know, you brought up the issue of 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 uh, you know workers want something different, and it's more about output and less about hours invested um, as a mindset. And you know, that's that's the same problem we have in education. And you know, that we've it's been a problem I've been looking at for the last ten years and focusing in on competencies as opposed to 
hours that your butt is in a seat in a classroom. Because you know, anybody that's gotten any kind of advanced degree, it's based on how many hours you collected, right? Sure. So that those hours collected don't necessarily translate into what you learned. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so education is sort of in the same position, I think, because I think learners have too many other options now, just like uh, talent has too many options, has a lot of options. Let me put it that way. And so we have to rethink our organizational structure and, um, you know, and really when you look back at, you know, uh, hours and punch cards, you know, I remember reading, I think it was, um, uh, one of the, uh, the, the, the whole punch card was to developed, you know, a long, long time ago by Wedgwood China, I think, you know, back way back in the day, uh, you know, when they were, you know, when they had workers, I mean, we're still using these, these sort of outdated ways of measuring performance. And, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really fascinating to think about it. And when you think about, uh, when you think about healthcare professionals, as an example, uh, entering into this fractional ownership, it has to be a, around value created. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, so I, I think that's really, I think that's, that's really interesting. And, and I'm, I'm really curious as you all think about like working with universities and, you know, is it, is it around trying to build better systems? Is it around trying to, you know, find, uh, talent and, and place them? I mean, you know, is, or is it all of the above? Because it seems to me there's so much opportunity right now in, in, in the midst of all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So when we work with, which, which also just to like step back, you mentioned a, a really, a really fascinating point is around measuring performance. Uh, you know, we were, I, I was talking to, I can't remember what his name was, but he was uh, at JP Morgan and we were talking about basically building the system that allows to like monitor and, and understand um, employee performance. He made it like a, he made a pretty hard stance. He said, I don't think that there's any way that you can truly measure performance. He goes, I don't think it's a metric. I don't think it exists. I think that it's just, you know, it, 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 it's so subjective that you can't measure it. And this was pre-pandemic too, uh, mind you. Uh, and, and I've always kept that in the back of my mind. And what I think is interesting now <clears throat> is that I, 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 I disagreed with him then, and I even more disagree with him now. Uh, and because I, I, I do think that in a distributed and remote future, and, and, and I always want to preface this too, that like, I know this isn't for every job, right? Like there's still going to be people that are operating in the physical world, uh, but for people that participate in a, um, digital role that is able to work remote with the difference now is that we produce so much data as remote workers right and we take a hard look at this we've actually been looking at it for a while within gigster that the amount of data that we create as individual workers on a day-to-day -day basis whether that's you know emails or um or our, our zoom calls or our hangouts calls or messages in slack or post in jira and confluence uh, if you're an engineer, like uh, GitHub commits, uh, it, Word docs, presentations, like the amount of information that you create every day uh, is staggering, right? And when we kind of readdress that idea of the performance problem, uh, I think that now we're actually in a better way ever to create like objective measures uh, to understand performance. Uh, and we did a really interesting study with uh, Stanford around this idea of 
how do freelancers, uh, how, do, how it wasn't even freelancers, but how do networks react to algorithmic ranking opacity? Um, so when you uh, introduce a ranking system, is it a good thing or a bad thing to a network? Uh, and what we found was kind of fascinating was that overall it was seen as very, very positive um, if, if the rules to the game were known. Um, it was a very negative if it was a black box, which is pretty obvious, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, it was, it, it was interesting and it was, it was positive for a digital network because it gave them an understanding of like the social fabric and where they fit into the larger group. Um, but then it also gave them rules to play by to understand what that kind of, you know, social dynamic was. Uh, and so when we, again, now look back at the performance side, we have a lot of, uh, I would call them like uh, quantitative data points that you could put together to understand performance. And, and again, every time I say it, I like almost don't want to say it because it sounds very big brothery. Um, but when we think about the work of the future uh, and how these future workforces will be done, and we think about the scale, like when you think about the scale of the human cloud, when we're talking about 8 billion people on a planet um, and a huge portion of those, like billions of people being part of this workforce, and you can't manage it the same way that you traditionally managed business. And so that's why these problems are important to think about and why we shouldn't shy away from saying, oh, you can't manage performance because it's super subjective and you only have, you know, you don't have any quantitative data. It's all just, you know, feel uh, is that, you know, these problems do need to be solved, um, which leads into, you know, some of the work that we do with some of our academic partners. And a lot of it uh, has been around, you know, what, like what makes, what makes a better situation for a freelancer to be in? Right. Um, and a lot of that goes into understanding, um, you know, what, like, how do they view the world? What do they need? How do we better build technology that supports them that doesn't feel big brother, that doesn't feel invasive, that doesn't feel, um, you know, offensive, even in some cases. Uh, and, you know, an example of one of those studies that we found really, really fascinating, um, and this is uh, out online, I can send you the link if you want to post it for it. But uh, it was around this concept called discursive diversity, which is basically being able to leverage uh, textual team communication to understand how like neurodivergent they were around a topic. Um, and that uh, in, in short terms, basically, that means if you ask five people uh, what a sports car was, um, how aligned are they in defining it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's really, really important in, you know, in our case for, so, in, for in software development, but really problem solving in general. What we found is that within a given um, two week development milestone, you actually like highly successful teams had the same pattern of this like divergent score. Uh, and so we looked at that and said, wow, like this is like, this is a great tool that can help freelance teams operate more efficiently. And it is, you know, it, it is um, objective. And this is like a great way to measure how they're doing. Yeah, um, that's fascinating. And I'd love to see that paper. You know, what you're what you're getting at, too, is the ability to start to build culture, I think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, so that's, God, that's such a good, that's such a great question. Uh, you know, we get, I, I get asked like quite a few times, like, how do you build culture? And in a remote first thing, I, Corey, I don't think I don't think you can build culture in it. 
And I always turn back and I always ask him like, so what is culture? Is it beers after work? Is it a uniform? Is it what it like, what is culture truly? Right. And if you're trying to look backwards and say, I want to recreate the culture that we had in our office in a distributed world, you will fail. Like you, you just will, it's inevitable. Right. But what you need to do is kind of look forward and say, how do we redefine what culture means and what does culture mean for freelance? Right. And what does culture mean for the human cloud and the future of work and the open talent pool? It's way different. Right. And it's this, it's this understanding that, and what I find a lot of it is, is that, you know, in like, especially in the, 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 the freelance mindset, like your self identity is no longer as tightly coupled to the company that you work for. Mm -hmm. Um, and that I think is one super important just for like individual mental health for, you know, personality and personal growth, uh, in that, you know, companies see that as, and I don't want to put words in their mouth, but a lot of times what I hear is like, we don't want that. We want them to feel very tied to the office. And this was, you know, and I, I even saw it firsthand, you know, I was in Silicon Valley when the, you know, when the, when the perk system was like through the roof, you know, like, we'll feed you breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We've got a massage therapist on, you know, on staff, we have a daycare, like we, we have beds, like we want you to yeah. live here. We'll give you all the clothes you'll ever need. That's got the logos slapped on the back and the front. And they, at that, at that point in time, that was culture, right? Like be there all of the time. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's so refreshing for that, for me to not be in that now. And I think that's where companies kind of get hung up as they want. They're trying to copy that into a world where individual um, goals and versions of self-identity have changed since yeah. then. You know, what I find interesting, too, about that story, when you're talking about, you know, the, the FANG companies, for example, you know, those are, I've interviewed uh, two or three people on my podcast over the last few years that have started companies to do what Gigster does, place FANG engineers specifically into, uh, you know, side hustles, let's put it that way, because they weren't getting fulfilled, but they were making too much money to leave. And it was, you know, there were too many perks, too much money, they weren't going to leave. But to be honest, those companies don't have their heart. They don't have their, um, you know, their passion, mm -hmm. I guess, their purpose. Mm -hmm. And um, so for me, a lot of times culture is more around, um, you know, does this, does this thing I'm doing, does this endeavor, does it have my heart? You know, mm -hmm. do I have a passion for what I'm doing? And, yeah. and, you know, I, I love that you said we have to redefine culture. And I think what I'm hearing you say is that as we move into this, these new forms of work and organization, uh, we've got to redefine a lot of the, the, the concepts and the, the structure and the strategy that we've used in the past. We got to mm -hmm. even redefine the words that we're using. Right. Yeah. And like, and I think that a lot of, I, I, I see people shy away or even I type because it's hard, right? It's not going to sure. be easy, yeah. right? It's not easy. It's not as easy as, you know, flooding some kid with a bunch of swag and free stuff, you know, and saying now you're part of it. Like you, you have to really think about what, how you engage them uh, and that it's not an easy task. I don't, yeah, I, I think there's, there's a lot of work cut out and, you know, I, I don't have any answers for it. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, you made, I mean, you made a good point around like the Fang company and Jiggers. I mean, really like what Gigster was founded on initially from day one was, um, a tr- like it was basically an outlet for those engineers to say, Hey, look, you work at, you know, any of the Fang companies, you work at SpaceX, you're probably, I mean, there was, you know, I'm sure you remember too, like there was a time when these companies were hiring on engineers for two, $300,000 a year giving them no work just so the competitor doesn't get, hire get them. them. Yeah, Does, doesn't exactly. get them. And we got flooded with the, they were like, we just want to work on cool projects. And what we're working on right now isn't cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so that's where we found our initial traction was finding cool projects and letting them kind of moonlight and fractionally work on them uh, and get fulfillment out of it. I think that's the big, uh, the big takeaway um, here. And, you know, again, it, it's difficult for leaders, uh, you know, all the way from the C-suite down it's difficult for founders to try to how do you found a company on that new wave of culture because it's never really been done before. Uh, and so I think we're going to see some uh, some great growth in the space and a lot of like innovative ideas on what. Yeah. What it all means. You know, it's, it's really this is for me, this is just so fascinating. I love talking about it. Because I'm one of those people that came into the workforce and the majority of my work will be under the old system, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I had to, quote unquote, pay my dues and put in my hours. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I keep working because I'm so excited about all this new stuff. So maybe I'm a little unusual in that regard because I love it. And, I, I you know, I don't want to quit work because there's too many things to do and learn and see. But at the same time, I know a lot of people my age or, uh, you know, even younger that feel like, well, all these people have to pay their dues, right? I had to do this. I had to spend time, you know, so there's this, um, I think there is this mindset that this, all this new way of working is, um, you know, it, uh, uh, you know, it's a generational conflict. Let me put it that way. Uh, you know, the, the, those people that are my age that are running these organizations mm-hmm. are really struggling with, how does this all work that they don't, you know, they already are touring the world, right? They're already taking sabbaticals Mm -hmm. when they're 25 years old, (laughs) you know, and I had to work to 45 or 60 to get my sabbatical or whatever that is, you know? So, so how do we, how do we deal with that? Because what I see is that it's not easier to be in this new context and it's not, it's not bypassing your, um, you know, a lot of the, the milestones that you need to reach, but, but it's different. And, uh, you know, and, and, and that generational thing, I think is, is a struggle really with all of this. Yeah. I mean, the generational one is, is, (laughs) is a tough one. And like you said, you know, that, that idea of you need to suffer because I suffered. uh, I, I think that's human. You know, I think that's the lizard brain. I don't know if, I don't think there's any way that we'll ever, get through that. And then, you know, eventually at some point, you know, um, all of the remote work, there'll be some other revelation to what work means and all of the, you know, uh, the, the millennial remote first workers will be like, ah, well, you need to sit at your computer for 10 hours a day. Cause I did. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see that, that changing and <clears throat> yeah, I mean, adoption of it is, is, is tough. It is very, very hard. And that's where, you know, like the work that we're doing at the human cloud comes in. Uh, being able to educate and say, look, this is this is what's going on. Here's why it's important. Here's how you think about it. Uh, and here you, and we try to like tie it back to, again, 
um, those mental schemas of old so people can kind of like recall what that means and it, it makes it easier to convey the idea. Uh, and then, you know, <clears throat> we do our best on the gigster side as well to like try to take, that's why I said like a wrapper around it. It's that it's like, we wanted to find this way to like sit in the middle. It's like we'll harness the human cloud and we'll make it easy. And then you can buy from us. So it feels like you're buying from traditional, but you get all of this upside. Um, and we obviously have challenges in doing that uh, as well, but it, it's, it's not going to be an overnight thing. And I think that this revolution and what work means is, uh, is it's going to go, and this is how all disruption happens, right? It happens slowly and then it happens fast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, yeah. it, like heaven forbid that there's never another global lockdown. Um, but I do think that if something drastically like that happens, that it, it will pour gas on the fire. Right. Just uh, like and, it did last time. Just like it did last yeah. time. And, you know, last time I, t I would even do like we arguably weren't really ready for fully remote yet, but now we will be. And when you have that catalyst effect happen, yeah. uh, it's just going to accelerate it more. And there's I was talking to someone the other day. It's like, you know, and this is like a little dark, but a little dystopian future, maybe. Right. <laughs> but, you know, if you if you play this out down the road, 100, 200 years from now. Right. And like suppose there's like environmental concerns like, you know, now being remote first. It, we're doing it to reduce like carbon footprint of travel um, or, you know, maybe it's potentially not uh, safe or healthy to be outside in some areas uh, because of, yeah. you know, our can't seem to stop using fossil fuels. Right. And uh, so so maybe, you know, there, there are these like underlying potentials that adopting this work style will allow you to survive in perpetuity. Because if you don't, right, like there, there, there could be some other major factor that comes in that will yeah, put yeah. you at a disadvantage. Yeah, yeah, it's a, that's it's a really interesting thought, and uh, and you know, it, it's, yeah, it's fascinating to think about. So I, I have to ask you, um, I could talk all day. We've already talked forty five minutes. I can't <laughs> believe it. But, yeah. uh, I, I have to ask you about an entrepreneurial mindset because that's what you know. That's my. That's my area. Um, you know, I work with people to help them build this this mindset of recognizing opportunities, being willing to take action, and and executing past failure. And I'm just curious. You know, um, typically in the past, if you had that kind of um, uh, willingness to take on more of the risk, uh, you got more reward and you had more, in some ways, independence. Uh, it's not to say you didn't always have plenty of people to answer to as an entrepreneur, but, um, you know, you still had, uh, you, you had more control maybe over how you spent your time and um, money than you did as an employee. And so this entrepreneurial mindset, I'm really curious as to whether or not you believe it's valuable to freelance workers? Uh, is it important for them to adopt this kind of mindset or is, is it really going to continue to be, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be working for organizations, so I don't really have to think about taking on more of that risk, um, you know, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, a hundred percent. First off, yes, a thousand percent. You know, the, the, Freelancers that I work with, um, that we have in our network, that I see, or that I'm friends with, the ones that are 
thriving, right, are ones that are have extremely, uh, extremely strong entrepreneurial mindsets, right? And it's and it's and it's that it's because again, when I think of like entrepreneurial mindset, I think a lot of people can immediately go like entrepreneur means that like I need to go raise money and like I might need to like have a great idea and I might need to go like try to hire people and that just seems like so much and like I can't do that. Um, but when I say entrepreneurial mindset in the sense of a freelancer, it is that freedom, like you said, is very important to you. Having control over your schedule, having control over what you work on is important to you. And if those things are strong enough, uh, then you are willing to take on some of that risk in order to have a better uh, life. Uh, and I don't want to say life, but like have a better uh, experience in your day to day. Because like, let's face it, right? Like we work a large portion of our waking days. Uh, and yeah, so any freelancer needs to be able to t harness some of that. And it's not all of it. Like you don't have to be Steve Jobs, right? You don't have to be um, some like crazy fanatical like entrepreneur guy. You just have to have, you just have to want something, right? And you just have to want something different and not be scared to want something different and say, okay, I can take a step and it's not a huge step. You can ease into it, right? Like it's not, you don't have to start tomorrow. Um, or you don't have to completely jump off the cliff. You can keep a day job. You can moonlight. You can pick up stuff on Fiverr or Upwork for actually, you know, feel it out, understand what that means, and then start to move into it. Uh, and there's a great LinkedIn post that I actually read the other day from one of our affiliates with the human cloud that actually did a good analytical study of like what the freelancer mindset is through like a series of questions. Oh, of, great. Yeah. You know, I feel confident. And then it ranged from new freelancers to veteran ones. Uh, and it was interesting to see how they're shifted over time. Uh, and, it, it, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a big point. And a lot of it too, is I think when moving into freelancing and having that entrepreneurial mindset, like one big, big thing that I've always seen them be successful with, and this is what entrepreneurs entrepreneurial people are really good with is around like networking and reaching yeah. out and talking to people, you know, and just getting a support structure there on your own. And that can help reduce a lot of that weight of risk that may be super scary. And there's tons of communities out there. There's tons of platforms and networks and Discord channels or Telegram channels or something, you know, where you can find other individuals that are wanting to do what you do um, or, or do what you want to do uh, that you can lean on. And if, what I've also found, too, is that the freelance community is extremely welcoming. Like they are, uh, you know, they're open to share experiences. They're open to share feedback. They're open to share uh, how it works. Um, but all in all to say is that, yeah, having having some entrepreneurial mindset is extremely uh, important. But I also don't want to caveat it and say that you have to have it or you'll fail because I've seen some that don't and do they fine. They still, still do <laughs> fine. Yeah. And yeah. they still do fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you know, when you dig into an entrepreneurial mindset, it, it does include networking skills. It includes uh, learning, mm -hmm. you know, because every entrepreneurial venture is is an experiment. And you're yep. basically testing assumptions all along the way. So mm -hmm. you're learning. And uh, so, so you know, it's I, I find it really interesting. And, and you know, I believe that these skills can be developed and, um, and th that you can, maybe you don't have them, as you said, initially, but you can practice and you can build your entrepreneurial mindset. And mm -hmm. uh, it's, it, it really is... Um, you know, it really is a different way of looking at the world. Uh, you know, in an organization before, you basically show up and somebody tells you what to do and you don't have to, you don't have to have a lot of agency really around how you spend your day. But right. as a as a freelancer, 
you know, unless you want to get in trouble with the IRS or the company get in trouble with the IRS, really, you have to be somewhat independent in the way you work, right? And and that leads me to, uh, and, and I don't know, the, the, you know, I can't help but ask this question, you know, there there is a whole different way of managing your finances if you're working um, this way. And also, you know, the, the healthcare benefits that you typically find from organizations and other kinds of, uh, you know, benefits, let's say, you know, retirement or saving for years that, you know, you don't want to work. So what does that look like in the freelance space? Are companies, um, mm-hmm. you know, are, are entrepreneurs stepping in and providing these kinds of services? Obviously you can get healthcare, um, you know, government-based healthcare, but but do you see a future where there are a lot more uh, actually entrepreneurial companies out there that can provide these services? A thousand percent, yes. Uh, you know, I, I look back into like my history, and you know, I, I started. I, I would say I started my entrepreneurial journey like when I started my first company back in two thousand seven, and I remember it was just like a black hole of. What do I do for healthcare? What do I do for taxes? What do I do for this? And I was young at the time too, so I didn't have much experience in it. But there was just there was literally no resources. Uh, and you know, I've seen since you know, in this seven or eight years ago, I started Gigster. There was early like support tech out there. There was this really great company, uh, and I don't know if they went out of business or something, but they were called. I could never figure out exactly how to do the taxes. I had a hard time say you know taking taxes out, understanding how to file it. Uh, but it's called Painless 1099, and basically all your paychecks would go to them. They would pull out what you needed to pay for taxes, deposit the rest, and at the end of the year, they would send your tax documents and like basically handled all of it. And I was like, yeah. oh my god, this is incredible. Uh, but today there are a ton of new startups and a whole kind of area uh, of these uh, people being able to support, uh, and that's everything from you know 401k and retirement firms to to taxes and legal advice to. Um, obviously healthcare and stuff as well. So yeah, don't, don't feel like you're alone if you're going into it or like that's really hard thing to, to, to accomplish. There's tons of great SaaS platforms out there. And like, I unfortunately don't know them off the top of my head. Um, but there are, I know that they're there and it's easy, like SaaS style sign up, like log in with your Google and then we'll set it up. It's not any, yeah, you know, yeah. mail is in your, I don't know, your birth certificate and we'll, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll do it. Yeah, like you were trying to get a visa to go to Russia or something like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. had to do that a few years back, and that they had to have everything, in, you know, including my firstborn. Um, oh, wow. So, no, I'm joking, but they, they <laughs> yeah, did yeah. ask for a lot of information because I was I had a five year visa, and it just, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Fortunately, I didn't, I didn't have to go that much. But well, you know, uh, is there, you know, freelancers? I think are somewhat independent uh, or comfortable sure. with some in you know, independent work, but is there, are there organizations or resources that, um, you know, you brought up different companies are out there, but, but obviously you can't keep track of all of them, but is there, are there, uh, you know, are there conferences, are there resources, are there things that people can attend if they were interested in going down this path? I know there's a lot of talk on the corporate side, but for the individual freelancer, like if I've got students that want to do this, what do I tell them? Yeah, no, that's, um, that's a great question. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit that we don't have like, so Gigshare itself doesn't, I, I can't, unfortunately, we don't have like a ton of um, public information to send it out to, but I know that, you know, uh, I've seen it around here and that's where I went like, you know, um, meetup.com. Mm-hmm. It sounds like really 
like just very basic, but I've, I've even attended a few here in Charlotte that are like, you know, young entrepreneurial meetups, um, like freelance or people like freelancers really just get together just to work together in the same coffee shop, right? Just so you're around other people in the same situation. Uh, you know, I know that a lot of the big platforms out there, like the top tiles and the upworks will have, uh, they have a bunch of good, like resource, like, you know, um, reading material on how to manage your finances, how to, you know, how to moonlight in the, in the freelance, how to better, you know, prepare your skill sets. Uh, for doing this. They've got great resources. Um, you know, Human Cloud has got resources uh, as well, if you want to check them out. Um, Open Assembly, I think, has uh, some good resources as well to go uh, to go look at. Um, but yeah, I, there, the internet has everything today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, I know. And, you know. and actually, uh, I, I went back out on LinkedIn just before we got on uh, because I was looking at your, your new job titles. And mm-hmm. I think there was a conference that um, I got invited to go to a LinkedIn, you know, remote kind of thing that it said you were attending. I took a look at it. So I, I'm, I'm sure on social media, there are a lot of places, um, you know, promoting support. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to be careful. You never know what you're getting into with a lot of that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the big advice I always give uh, anyone coming in or even people that come into to our network and it's their first time ever freelancing is to try to pair them like I do. Try, we try to pair them with like a buddy Like go talk to this person. They've been with us for a number of years. You know, if you have any questions or you're feeling concerned or anxious, uh, go talk to them. And so I encourage anyone else that is looking to take the road, not in, not even into just freelancing, but entrepreneurship also, like go talk to people. Like everyone is happy to share their journey um, and being able to ask them questions uh, will help lead you to stuff like you don't know what you don't know. And that's right. big in right. freelancing and entrepreneurship. And you're, you, can't, you can't find those out with just Googling stuff. Uh, talking to real people will give you tremendous levels of insights and confidence uh, to, to move into the space. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. And yet, as you know, I always ask for one piece of advice. So that, I think that's, you, that, uh, yeah, you gave that? it to me. That was, yeah. that's great. And, and, you know, I, I know that I'm going to have more students that are interested in freelance freelancing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're already doing it while they're in school. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're, they're kind of, like you said, you can kind of stick your toe in and try it out. I got to ask uh, you one question though. What have I not asked or are there any questions I've not ask you about um like i said we could i feel like i could talk to you for a long time because uh, i always learn so much and i'm fascinated by the work that you do but is there anything you know for the future of of workforce you know mm-hmm. what, what what should we be looking at what should we be thinking about what maybe where are the big problems what are we what are we yeah. missing i think the most disruptive thing going on right now that everyone should be paying attention to express especially freelancers and entrepreneurs uh is ai ai Um, i sort of knew that was coming you know like finding ways and it's understanding it from a holistic perspective it's understanding how could this potentially disrupt you um how can this uh benefit you how can this make you more efficient how can this fill in the gaps that you maybe have an, a skill set, right? Like a very obvious one that I tell a lot of the engineers that I talk to. It's like, look, use ChatGPT, write better emails, like write better status updates. You can convey your value back much more concisely. Uh, you know, product managers 
use this to help you like speed things up. You know, don't be scared of it. Designers use Adobe and other stuff or um, mid journey to iterate and ideate faster. Um, And I I constantly preach it out for people to be using it. Uh, But a lot of people just either one uh, don't know or aren't giving it the time that they should, but it will be very, very impactful for you because someone sitting next to you is, and they will out compete you. Yeah. So please do uh, look into that. I'm totally with you on that. And I, I love that you brought that up because I'm all over AI. I've been using it in a lot of different ways. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a book author and there's a lot of conversation among book authors about AI and how to use it. And quite honestly, Corey, the way I first saw it and I continue to see it, it's like having a brilliant graduate assistant <laughs> as a professor. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you know, I, it's amazing what what ChatGPT has been able to kind of help me yeah. do. So you know, I, I I think there are a lot of questions around it, and you know, a lot of people have concerns. I get that, mm-hmm. but we'll figure that out. For now, you know, it's there's there's some saying I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's basically we can either go with it or not. But it's going. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to miss out on that. I think it's yeah. fun. I'm having a blast. It doesn't always want to do what I ask, but again, it's back to a, a graduate well, assistant. Well, the, well, neither do people, right? So <laughs> that's right. Yeah, Actually, it does a, more than by yeah. It does it's more likely to do what I ask than most right. people. Well, I've got to ask you then a question as well. Um, do you? I left you with a piece of advice. Do you have anything for me? Oh, some advice from you. That's great. I think you might have done that to me last time. I don't Did know. I? I can't remember. Somebody, I've had a couple of people do that. You know, I I think um, my advice for you, I, I love, uh, you know, I had a, a graduate student one time that kind of asked me the same question. And I said, you know, you're really brilliant. You need to go get your PhD. And, uh, <laughs> and he did, uh, what I wanted to say, I guess what I'd want to say to you, I don't know if it, it's worth your time to go get a PhD, but, um, you're really bright and I love that you're asking questions. So I would say, keep asking questions and keep exploring because, um, you know, I love the way your mind thinks. I think you're, you know, I think you have a way of, uh, really um, exploring the world. And it, I think it's easy sometimes to, to forget that we have to keep asking questions. So I would say keep asking questions. Oh, I love thank that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I very much appreciate that. And yeah. I, I, my, my dream one day is to get an honorary doctorate. From oh, is somewhere. that right? There you, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you can do it because uh, the, the, the education space is changing a lot. And um, I think we're going to see a lot of people who maybe aren't trained in research doing some fascinating research. So, you know, keep doing your research and mm-hmm. keep changing the world that way. I mean, that's what we... That's why we're here on this planet, I think, to make a difference and and uh, be kind to each other. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you. Thank you so, so much. And I appreciate the kind words at the end, too. Yeah. Means, well, I've a had a blast talking to you again, Corey. It's always a treat. And thank you for taking the time. And um, I'll, I'll be in touch with you. I'll probably be back with more questions. And uh, we'll share more of that with our audience as we go. I love it. Thank you, Corey. Have a good one. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor.